evening. Good to see you guys tonight. Hey, um, before we get started, can we, um, I don't know if you, which way you came in. Uh, it was about 6, 10 or so uh, on Arizona and Willis. Um, just saw a, a car just T-bone another car right, I mean, it was right there. And um, children involved. And so I thought we just take a, a moment to pray here. It didn't look good. Um, so, Father, thanks for tonight. And thank you that... Uh, that you are in control. And Father, seeing uh, that accident just reminded me of how frail we are, uh, how finite life is, how things can change in an instant. God, I think too often we um, take so many things for granted that we just anticipate getting from point A to point B. And I know for these two groups involved, um, their evening certainly changed in, in, uh, in the near future. So, God, we pray for them. I pray for their well-being. Thank you for the many people that stopped and, and got help. And pray for the kids, Father, as they uh, were tossed about, that they would um, they'd be settled in their minds, and that you would give them the peace they need to understand that this is often a part of life and that they don't need to fear um, getting in cars and, and, and getting on the road again. So... Father, we thank you for tonight. I thank you that uh, through the good and the bad times, we uh, gather tonight because we want to know more about how to live life well in both situations. And so we give it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We were talking, and by the way, uh, asking you shall receive. I don't know if you were with me, gosh, a few weeks ago now, we were talking in the book of Acts, and I screamed out there to Bobby, hey, Bobby, could we turn these lights on in in the house here? And he provides. Ask and you shall receive. So thanks so much, Bobby. Um, As well, I was walking outside just as as David was singing here a little bit, and man, I was just reminded of how cool it is that we can come here and gather and just dive into God's Word while there is a crew out there doing some great things with our kids. And so if you get a chance, just thank them. Uh, That is truly an act of service. Uh, so much so that we can we can really focus, and that's what I want to do tonight. I want to do that because we're in the Ten Commandments. It's a popular series. A lot of people pick this series to teach on and talk about, primarily because there's ten. And so it's a great series. It's two and a half months long, and that's a great time for a church just to go through commandment after commandment. But in doing so, I just, I guess I... I want to ask the question, because maybe um, it was asked and answered last night. I, I was able to watch... Um, uh, the teaching from last week, and, and I'm, I'm not sure I heard it, and so I'll ask it tonight. And we have some runners up here with microphones. This is your first time at the mine. Uh, just raise your hand if I ask a question or if you have a thought or comment. And I'll start with a, with a question, and that is this. When I read the Ten Commandments, when we study the Ten Commandments, I just want to start us off on the right footing if we're going to do this for the next nine or ten weeks. Um, do, are, are, do we read these with the intention of this, this is meant for me today? Uh, God, when I read these Ten Commandments, I'm reading them uh, prescriptive, right? They're, they're, they're prescribed for, there you go, they're prescribed for me today that, that when you wrote them, I understand that I wasn't there at the bottom of Mount Sinai, but as I read them today, Every one of those commands is applicable for me today. Do we read them in such a way that it's, it's good stuff and I get it. Um, I'm just not convinced that I, that, that, that I'm obligated. 
a little bit more descriptive than prescriptive? Are there principles? Are there, are there thoughts in there? Or am I all the way over here with, um, they were written to a certain people, to a certain group in time, and it's good to know a good history lesson, if you will. But honestly, Greg, I'm not even sure why we're, why we're reading them other than the fact that they're in God's word. But certainly it doesn't start with to the church at Cornerstone, follow these commands. Okay. I'll tell, I have a couple thoughts, but I'd love to hear yours. Uh, do we, do, are you reading these commandments with the idea that well, of course they're meant for me today. Why wouldn't they be? They're in God's word. And so whatever's in God's word applies for me today. Kind of, I think I, I should read them and apply them. I'm, I don't need to read them or, or, or apply them or, or maybe anything in between that. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Just raise your hand here. We've got at least one mic runner over here. And maybe you've never thought about this. The reason I bring it up, guys, is because is because when we read the Old Testament, and especially the law of the Old Testament, we need to settle this. You, I, you, we need to settle this. For instance, well, answer the question, and then we'll, we'll turn to some passages. Raise your hand. If, come on, someone's got to have a thought on this. Are we reading this? Have you ever read the Ten Commandments? I'm sure you know the Ten Commandments, or at least some of them. Though I'll tell you what, in my classes, I teach over at Valley Christian High School, uh, when we get to the Old Testament... One of the things I like to do is I break out all the Ten Commandments. I cut them up into little little commands, and then I spread them. I mix them all up, and I gather kids in groups, and I say, okay, put them in order. Whoever can do it the quickest. And guys, it's, we're hard-pressed. Um, if I took these off the board and asked you to get into small groups and put them in order without using your Bible, could you do it? So I think we know the commandments. I think we're familiar with them, or at least a few of them. So we've read them, we've acknowledged them. How do they apply to us today? I, I think that we need to start there before we launch into this. Otherwise, we may be walking into some, some uncharted territory here. Yeah. Hey, Greg, I think it's a, a mixture of both. Um, and I'm kind of jumping ahead to the, the fourth commandment. Um, some of them are, I think, specifically for the Israelites. And if you jump ahead to... Uh, Exodus 31 and 12 and a couple of verses there, it talks about the Sabbath being for the Israelites. And then it uh, mentions that anybody that doesn't observe it should be put to death. So right. that's a kind of a, you, you really want to get to answer your question and figure it out. Yeah, well, no, one. I appreciate that. When they were dividing up, when Frankie and, and Bill were dividing up the, you know, who's teaching when. I, can I be honest with you? I was glad I didn't get the Sabbath one. Because out of all ten, I don't murder, you know, you know, adultery, you know, whatever. I know what it is at least. Um, but but we always get stuck on the Sabbath, isn't it? Because a lot of us don't do it, and so now we're trying to figure out a way. Well, I'm checking the box. I'm figuring this out, and then it says keep the Sabbath day holy. And now we're into somewhat Pharisaical land of. What does that mean? So then we hear messages about, well, it's a day of rest, but rest can be a lot of things, right? Rest can be at the lake where you got to at least prep a boat to haul up to the lake to get there. Well, that's kind of working, but not really, you know, and so now we're into, well, what is it really? Well, keeping the Sabbath day holy is about 10 hours with God and none of us do that right on Sunday. And so we don't know really what that means. And yet we're really good with some of them. So, so, you know, guys, the Ten Commandments, honestly, it's got to be all or all, it, it, we got to, it's got to, it's a package deal. 
You can't look at all 10 and say, good, 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 good. Eh, you know, I don't even know what that means. And so good, 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 good. And then get to the end and say, well, now it does apply to me. So, so do the commandments apply to us? And in, if so, in what way? And then, and then even more specifically, what about the Sabbath? How do you keep it holy? What day is the Sabbath? Guys, I've heard messages that go so far as to say things like, well, what God meant was pick one day out of the seven and keep it holy. Okay, I don't care if it's a Wednesday. I mean, is that, is that what God was saying there? Um, any other thoughts? I'll give you a couple, but just want to... Hey, Greg, I, I think that uh, they do apply today. Tell me what section of the room you're in because I'm blinded over. There you go. Hey, okay, thank you. you. I think they do apply today, and I okay. think they're at the foundation of our faith. And I was thinking about how Jesus summed up the commandments to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said that's the summation of the commandments, and I think this, this does apply to our lives. And, uh, but I think they're also, for me, when I read them, they're fulfilled in my life because of my faith in Jesus Christ. So, Okay. Can I just follow up with that a little bit? When you say they do apply to us, are you saying that are you saying that by way of the law applies to us, or are you saying that by way of these Ten Commandments apply to us? You're distinguishing between the Ten Commandments and the law. Do you mind me asking you why? Where the, do you, where's Mike went? Did someone run away with your mic? Or were you just speaking really loud the first time? There you go. It's a great question. Uh, well, the way I've always looked at this is that, uh, you know, Jesus came to fulfill the commandments. And my faith in Jesus Christ is fulfilled in those commandments. And we cannot live a perfect life, but in Christ, we have redemption. So the law has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And we know that from John chapter 1. Correct. So, so do we separate the overall commandments and then the ten um, I don't know the answer to that question. I think it all goes together. Okay. And, and the reason I ask you that is because it gets tricky, and I appreciate the commitment. I really do. Hey, they're in there. We should apply them. Um, here's where it gets tricky, I guess. Uh, turn to Leviticus. Take your Bibles. Go to Leviticus. This is known, again, we start in Exodus. I think uh, Bill did a great job last week of bringing us through Exodus 6 all the way to 20. We leave Egypt. We are now on our own. And he really emphasized, um, which I thought was a great angle, was the relational aspect between God and his bride, God and Israel. God and this chosen nation that he wants to set apart. And Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. God has a conversation with him. Uh, a canopy falls over the mountain. And now we have... His words to his people. And they're, they're fairly clear. Um, Bill talked a little bit last week about why God gave them to his people and, and the reasons. And I think a lot of us added to the conversation with, you're, you're going into a new season. You've come out of 400 years of persecution and oppression and now you're going into a new season, and maybe for some of us, and again, probably the nation is about a, about a million, 1.5 million or so strong here at this point. How do we act? How do we act as a people group? And what's interesting, guys, about the Ten Commandments is 
at least six or seven of them were kind of were were kind of in our conscience prior to God giving the commandments. Uh, murder, um, adultery, theft, lying, those were all subject to punishment prior to the Ten Commandments. Right? So so Cain kills Abel. Um, God's frustrated with that. Ten Commandments don't come for hundreds of years later. So in other words, there are things already in our conscience as humans that I think when we read the Ten Commandments, we think, oh, this is the first time that they've ever heard of, you know, do not kill, do not murder. And it wasn't. Uh, you know, there's, there is an issue about the Sabbath, and, and again, we, we can discuss that. I think the first two commandments were novelties to the nation of Israel. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me and don't have any false idols. I think that those two were especially important to this group because they had come out of generation after generation. That was around... Uh, polytheism, really. That was around graven images, worshiping pharaohs. And, and so they come out of that, and God then sets up, I am the Lord your God, and I am a jealous God, and I demand soul worship. And you're about to head into numerous people groups, and it will be very, very evident, should you abide by that, should you live by that, should you marry into that, and come into covenant with me, at least on those two, you will be, it will be a vast difference between you and the groups you're about to encounter. But some of these other ones, guys, they, they had been in play already, just not written down. And so, so I, I bring that to our attention, I guess, because I sometimes I think when we read the Ten Commandments, the nation of Israel is, is, it's like they just woke up and they're learning these for the first time, and that, that's just not the case. As we read them today, though, look at Leviticus chapter 20. I think I had to turn there. Um, let's look at uh, verse 9. Well, so, so you got your finger there or you're, you're tapping away. Tap, do a little double tap here. Tap to, so let me just drop down to Exodus 20 and let's go to, uh, let's go to verse 12. Exodus 20, verse 12, the fifth commandment, honor your what? Honor who? Your father and mother. Okay, honor your father and mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which your Lord gives you. Okay, that was given to the nation of Israel. Moses writes that down. And now you go over to Leviticus 20, and you read verse 9. If there is anyone who curses his father and mother... And the word, guys, the language there is not just like using like abusive, uh, degrading language, but it is actually is, is, it's a breach of the child's duty to mom and dad. It's a serious breach of a child's obligation to his or her parents. The, the Bible says, the law says, Moses says, God says, if there's anyone who curses his father or mother... He shall surely, what? Be put to death. Commandment number five. So, so, so here's, so what I'm getting at is this. If you read the commandments as, of, yes, you apply them. 
Like you read them and you obey them, period. Guys, you have to be consistent then, right? We have to be consistent. The consequence of you as a son or a daughter not obeying mom or dad, standing in line at Target, dropping to the floor, going stiff because you don't get the, the, the box of nerds, when mom is trying her best to drag you out and she's saying, please, I'm begging you to obey me here. And the little child is being rebellious and disobedient. And, and let's just, you know, maybe get it out of because that would be morbid to think of that. But let's get into like teenagers doing that. The Bible says, Leviticus 20 says, if you curse your mother or father, and there are no exceptions here. Not if you're having a bad day, not if, well, we understand, not if, well, you know, the kid down the street got it and you didn't, and so you have the right to. Anyone who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father and mother, and his blood guiltness is upon him. Okay? Go to Leviticus chapter 20. Stay right there. In fact, drop down to the next verse. If there's any man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Go back over to Exodus chapter 20. Verse 14. Commandment number 7. You shall not commit adultery. So guys, I'm just saying that we, you gotta, you gotta play fair here, right? You gotta play, see, this is one of the criticisms against the, against the, the church is, which is it? You know, playing consistent, playing fair is obey the commandments, like carve them, you know, carve them in stone, put them in your house, obey them. But understand that if you're going to do that, because it preaches good, it preaches well. But if you're going to do that, then then how do you not do Leviticus 20? How do you sidestep that in your, there's a comment over here. How do you sidestep that? How do you take one and not the other? Because it, it gets really close to, I'll decide which ones to apply and which ones not. And some theologians, honestly, have broken up the, the law into three categories, right? Moral, uh, ceremonial, and civil, I believe, or, or ju- judicial. And then what they do is they say, well, you know, ceremonial doesn't apply to us today. Why? Because there's no temple anymore, and so it's hard for me to find a goat to slaughter. And I would, you know, uh, judicial gets a little iffy just because, you know, some of the laws, they obviously don't apply to us. Moral laws kind of apply to us, but you know, again, the consequences don't apply because, and, and then, and then what I hear is this guys, because God was really trying to teach the nation something, right? He was trying to set them apart so much that if they, if they slept with another man's wife, that was punishable by death. Well, well guys, infidelity is a huge reason for divorce today amongst Christians, I don't see us, I don't see us abiding by that. Or you'd be offended, you would be offended if I took even half the steps of how dare you do that. They were killing each other on God's command if they committed that offense. Where, where's the Smith boy going? He's going outside the camp to be stoned to death. Uh, that doesn't happen today, right? And so, so, so how do we work this, right? How do we, because guys, honestly, I want to live the next 10 weeks understanding this as best as I can. Uh, otherwise, we're, we're, 
Otherwise, I'm going to be teaching this really hard. And one of you is going to read Leviticus 20 and ask me, how come we don't kill each other anymore? And then I'm going to be jammed up up here. And then I'll do some soft shoe tap dancing, preacher wise. And just say, raise your hand if you love the baby Jesus. And then we'll cry and call it a night. And that's just not fair, I think, to the text. Uh, comment over here and then, then I'll give you a couple of thoughts. You, you started answering my question as I was about to ask it. But yeah, it's like, we don't kill somebody today who commits adultery. You know, we, we don't, if we're supposed to believe Maybe every we single should, word. Maybe we should, right? <laughs> yeah. If we're supposed to believe every single word that. in this Bible, then, then why don't we do that? And then secondly, how does that not contradict the commandment, thou shalt not kill? They keep, yeah. It's like you can't have it both ways. You know, and, and, and I'm not doing this to raise problems. I really am not. I'm just trying to do it to figure it out so I can be consistent. I remember going through seminary a long time ago and, you know, just face, I, I became a Christian when I was 18. Um, and, you know, the Bible, reading it as an actual text, not just certain passages, but trying to go through it systematically, Genesis all the way through. Man, I got stopped a lot of times just thinking, how does this work, God? Turn to Romans 7. Let's see if we can get some answers out of Romans 7. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to, um, my understanding, um, when Jesus came and established the, you know, the new covenant, so, it, you know, it's talked about in the Old Testament about the coming of the Savior and all like this. Yeah. When Jesus came and now has washed away all our sins, paid our debt in full, so... And that's the only way to get to the Father that it changes now to the new covenant. Because we don't slaughter lambs and lay them on the altar and things. He did that for all of us. And so I I, I don't want to get too wrapped up about it. Once I was talking about Jesus and being a Christian and everything to a co-worker once. Uh, he was a non-believer, and he was doing these things where he's trying to tie the New Testament and the Old Testament back and forth, trying yeah. to, um, you know, refute my belief. And that's, I know people that are um, non-believers do that, those kinds of things. And I think that's what we're touching on here. But when Jesus comes, it changes everything. Yeah. And I agree with that, and, and I want to make a, let me make a quick comment, and then uh, maybe circle back around. So here's what I'm not saying, okay? So let me just, maybe that'll help. I'm not saying we go from Genesis to Malachi and rip it out. Uh, Jesus fulfilled the law. The law is pivotal, I think, to your understanding of who God is, how this whole thing came about, how, how, how the shoulders that we're standing upon. I think it's absolutely critical. What I'm going to suggest is I'm not sure that I would feel comfortable teaching the section of the law, um, some parts of Exodus, a lot of Leviticus, um, as prescriptive, as it said it, now we do it. Take the issue of homosexuality. And this is, again, guys, a a big knock on Christianity. Non-Christians love to go to Leviticus 19 and talk about, in fact, what we just read here a couple verses later, if a man lies with another man, right? It's an abomination. Take them out and stone them. And and a lot of non-Christians, a lot of um, pro-homosexual movements like to point that passage out to say, 
it no longer applies because you're not taking us out and stoning us. And guys, it pains me, honestly pains me when I hear Christians say, well, maybe we should. You're, you're, they baited you and you walked right into that one. Um, because I know you don't mean that. Uh, but, but it's in here. And so I want to balance this with all of this. 2 Timothy 3.16, all of this is the inspired word of God. This is not like half time. And so all we're going to teach out of is the New Testament. All of this is the inspired word of God. We just need to be good students of his word by way of God. How do I read this and how do I interpret it and how do I apply it? Romans 7 gives us some clues. Paul says in verse 1, or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as, has jurisdiction, excuse me, over a person as long as he lives. For the, he gives an analogy here, for the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she's joined another man, she should be called an adulteress, but if her husband dies, she's free from the law. So that she, she, she's not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. But Paul's not giving an exposition here on marriage. He's just using it. He, he drops in the law, drops in this little illustration. Now he's back to the law, verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you were also made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be joined to another, to him, to Christ, who was raised from the dead, that we may bear the fruit of God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And so I think what Paul's getting at, and you'll find this in Galatians as well, um, 1 Corinthians, is I, I think he's suggesting exactly what was mentioned here. Jesus has come to fulfill the law. And so the, the way I look at it, it uh, is like this. Do I abide by all ten commandments? Um, I like what Jesus said in the first two commandments, right? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, or heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Guys, I think that I did this last night or a couple nights ago. Love the, Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do I know if I'm loving God with all my heart, soul, and mind? Is there anything before him? Do I have any idols in my life? Have I taken the Lord's name in vain? Do I, do I lessen the Lord's name? Do I cheapen it by throwing it in with some curse words and some slang? Uh, do I find time to rest in the Lord? Do I spend time with him? How do I know if I'm loving God with all my heart, soul, and mind? I go back to the Ten Commandments and I read them as, am I doing these things? Am I doing them well? How do I know if I'm loving my neighbor as myself? Do I honor my parents? They are, th th this whole section is about community, relationships. Do I get angry? Am I loving other people? Do I get angry more than forgive, show mercy? Do I lust after other women? Do I do, 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 I do the things for my gain at the expense of others? Do I lie? Do I covet? So, so how, do, how do I read the Ten Commandments? I read them in view of, in light of, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do I know if I'm doing those things? Am I doing these things? That's how I would take that. Does that make sense? Um, I, I do that because, again, 
I'm not throwing out the law. I'm reading it through the new covenant, if that makes sense. I'm reading it through what did Jesus have to say? And then in addition to that, what do the New Testament authors have to say? And you'll find, guys, honestly, and I don't want to belabor this, you'll find that maybe, I don't know, maybe with the exception of the Sabbath, um, I can give you several instances where all of the commandments are repositioned in the New Testament. In fact, when we get to anger, um, or murder, adultery, uh, Jesus reiterates them and goes to the heart of those commands, doesn't he? In the Sermon on the Mount. So it's not as if, well, those Ten Commandments don't apply to us today. I don't even read them. I don't, I don't need to. But rather, how do we view them now in light of? And lest you think, if they don't apply, I've got license, Paul reminds us in Romans 6, what shall we say then? If we're under this umbrella of grace, shall we continue to sin? And he says, may it never be. With that said, um, thanks for hanging with me on that. I know it's just, it gets a little tedious at times, but, but I think for me anyway, it helps when I, when I look at the law through the eyes of Christ, who came to fulfill the law, that I'm not under the law. I'm not its slave anymore. It's not a list that I follow, but rather it's this great piece of scripture that God has given us to both understand what people had gone through and then to look at it through the lens of the New Testament, which guys, if you think about it, our Jewish friends don't do that. They are still reading this as this is it. There was a guy who wrote a book a couple years ago. He tried to live the law for a year. Did you ever read, did you ever read that book? He tried, to, he tried to apply. There's 613 laws in the, in the Old Testament, Mosaic laws. He tried to apply them to his life today. All the ones he possibly could without being illegal. Killing animals and stuff. And Guys, he, he couldn't do it. It, it was, it was, it was, it was uh, burdensome for him. It was like a yoke attached to him. A yoke of slavery. And Christ came to break free that yoke. And to say that you are under my covenant because of what I did for you on the cross. And guys, uh, you know, I probably don't do life that well, but I'm living in great amounts of freedom today. And so I go back to then this particular law in uh, Exodus chapter 20, where God says, don't make a false idol for, in verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of that which is in heaven or on earth, beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them, verse 5, or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Okay, that's known as commandment number two. Now again, as I mentioned before, um, do we find this anywhere else? Is God just making a proclamation here to the nation because they came out of Egypt and they had carven images and they had graven idols? And, and so is he just making a point here? Or can we find application for us today? Uh, for time's sake, I'm not going to turn there necessarily, but if you want to write these down, Isaiah 42.8 talks about idol worship and forbidding it. I do want to turn to one passage. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.14-22 talks about idol worship and how... Uh, it gets us into a lot of trouble. Deuteronomy 7 talks about it. But take your Bibles and turn to 1 John 5. 
First uh, John, all the way back to the New Testament. Turn to First John 5. And the reason that I don't think we should have idols in our life is because of those passages. And then, in addition, First uh, John 5, 21. I don't know if it gets more clear than this. Um, this is what I love about God's word. We can uh, read it to the depths where we don't find the bottom, and yet we can teach this to little children. In fact, John says in verse five, uh, verse twenty-one, chapter five, "Little children." Now, he wasn't talking to you know Juana's groups here. He referred to believers as little children. Nonetheless, he says, "Little children, guard yourselves from what idols." If you just heard what we said for the past twenty-five minutes and thought, "Well, good," now I'm off the hook. Now you're not off the hook. Guard yourselves from idols. And again, those other passages and a host of others I could turn us to. I love this particular commandment because it's just a common sense commandment that's so intrinsically linked to commandment number one. Love God. Have, Have no other gods before me. And then he follows that up with, do not have for yourselves, do not make for yourselves idols. And then John reiterates that little children do not have idols for yourself. Why? Why shouldn't we? Why can't we? I think we find that here in verse five of Exodus 20. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God am a what God? I'm a jealous God. Uh, take your Bibles real quick. Go to go to Exodus 34. Just flip over a couple passages to Exodus 34. God says, I am a jealous God. Uh, the word there is not um, jealous that turns to or that begins with or includes envy. It's not jealous in the sense that we often like to use that word, which is, I'm so jealous of them. I wish I had what they had. But rather, if you look at verse chapter 34 and look at starting in verse 11, God says through Moses to say to the children of Israel, be sure to observe what I commanded you this day. Behold, I'm going to drive out the Amorite before you and the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite and the Jebusite. Guess what all of those people groups had? False idols. Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, lest it become a snare in your midst. But rather, you are to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their ashram, for you shall not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous. Did you know that God's name is Jealous? Look at that. There's your takeaway today. If you learn nothing else, I learned God's name is jealous whose name is jealous is a jealous God lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods and someone invite you to eat of his sacrifice and you take some of his daughters for your sons and you take for your sons and his daughters play the harlot with their gods and cause your sons also to play the harlot with their gods God is a jealous God In the scriptures, guys, idolatry was equivalent to prostitution and to harlotry. God is saying to you and to me, do not prostitute yourself out with other gods. 
And it's not so much that I won't let you get into trouble when you do that. It's what Bill was talking about last week. It's because of my love for you. And it's not, you know, it's not even so much like, oh, you know, like I love you like that. But rather, I know what's best for you kind of love. Bill talked a lot last week about, you know, husband to wife. Let me just add to that parent to child. How many of us have had to say to our child, you're not going with them. You're not playing with that kid. You're not going to eat that kind of food. Because I love you. I'm a jealous parent for you. I'm not jealous of you. I'm jealous for you because of your relationship to me. And I think that's what God is driving at here with the nation. Don't have other gods before you. Church, Christian, don't put other idols in your path. Because I'm a jealous God. I know what's best for you. Trust me. And here's why. We, there's a comment back here. If we can get a mic over here. And, and here's why we don't do that. Well, I'll get to this comment and then I'll tell you. Go ahead. Oh, I just had um, a question that's yeah. always kind of bothered me. Um, I don't really understand the difference between commandment one and commandment two. Yeah. It's always kind of seemed like, isn't an idol another God? They kind of seem repetitive. I was wondering if you could maybe shed light on that for me. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the best I can understand it, um, commandment two puts flesh to commandment one, uh, meaning that commandment two, God is specifically talking about physical graven images or, or tangible idols. Okay. And so commandment one is have no other gods before me. Commandment two is, and, and that could be, um, whatever competes with me, whether it's tangible or intangible, specifically commandment two is lest you think that this is uh, I'm, this God isn't competing with you, God. It's just something I dabble with. God's saying, this thing that you have in your tent at that time, this thing that these other people groups have, because the nation of Israel, like this, like Exodus 34 just said, they're about to encounter other people groups like they did back in Egypt where they could physically see their gods. And the, and, and the concern God has, I think, is if you go to John chapter 4, 24, God, John's clear, God is what? God's, God is spirit, that passage says. And what I was getting at was, oh my gosh, how often do we, do we need something tangible? Um, show me you love me. <laughs> Right, right. Buy me the ring. <laughs> I know you love me. Prove it. I need to see it. And so I think God's covering his bases, if you will, by saying, don't have any other gods before me. Oh, okay, God, I get that. No, seriously, like, like nothing, don't even have graven images or idols, false idols. So, I th- so, so are they close? Absolutely. Yeah. Is there a distinction? That's the distinction I would make. And, and I want to bring this to 21st century here. Uh, so let me try this way. Um, uh, you don't have to turn there necessarily, but in James, remember we talked about James? Um, this is what James says, and maybe this will help shed light on this question as well. He says in James chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, you adulteresses. 
It's a great way to start a conversation. You adulteresses. You prostitutes, right? Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that scriptures speak no purpose when they say he jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us? You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? I think, guys, that speaks, at least it speaks to me today. Because I think that both the second commandment and then what James says, what First John is saying, all say the same thing. How are you a friend of the world? And how much are you a friend of the world? Can I, can I, can I shed some light on this? Would you, would you entertain me here for a minute? Um, take a look at this study. This was a 2010 study by the Kaiser Family Foundation. Uh, they did a, uh, a five-year longitudinal study, and they found this. In 2005, the teenagers that they surveyed spend, were spending an average of eight hours and 30 minutes a day with media content. Eight hours and 30 minutes, which includes smartphones, TVs, movies, you know, media, modern media. Okay? Eight hours and 30 minutes a day. Five years later, that amount increased to 10 hours and 45 minutes a day. Add sleep into there. What do they sleep like? the rest of the time. So add eight hours of sleep and they're, you know, besides eating, our teenagers today are, and these American teenagers, as if it makes a difference, but our teenagers today are spending a lot of time in media. We're spending a lot of time in media. I'm using media. Is, is that our idol? Are, are you a friend of the world with your media? Well, you don't understand why I use media, Greg. I use it for all kinds of godly purposes. Great. Uh, it's not what I asked. Um, if that's all you're using it for, praise God, write a book. How to only use media for godly purposes. And make it an e-book so I can download it. Um, why does this matter? 10 hours and 45 minutes a day. Here's why it matters, guys. Because in 2005, 3,200 uh, 3, teens were surveyed, I believe, out of South Carolina. This is what they discovered, these researchers. They discovered that 11% of media early adolescents use contains sexual content. 11%. Um, 40% of early, early adolescents' music contains sexual content. Less than one half of 1% of the content in the media young teens use contain positive sexual health content. Now, again, you math people are much smarter than me, but do the math. Like if I'm spending close to 11 hours a day in media content, what is 11% of that, right? An hour or two at least? What is 40% of that if I'm on music? Furthermore, um, among abstinent teens, that survey also discovered that increased exposure to sexual media content, including sexually explicit media, equals increased cognitive susceptibility to initiating sexual intercourse and ultimately having early sexual intercourse. In other words, draw the line here, right? Use a lot of media, see a lot of sex on media, see a lot of sex on media, try to stay abstinent, good luck. And guys, honestly, do we have to really, do, do I have to prove that to anyone? 
I mean, is that like, does that like, are you leaving here like, I just learned something. Our teen, the next generation are so inundated with ungodly sexual activity or sexual images or sexual exposure. You have to really wonder. You have to wonder what's next. What, what is coming? And this isn't like the sky is falling. Guys, this is reality. Well, I don't believe you. Okay. Um, in 2008, the Nature and Dynamics of Internet Pornography Exposure for Youth did a study, and they concluded that 93% of boys and 63% of girls were exposed to online pornography during adolescence. 93% of your teenage boys that are going to date teenage girls have exposure to porn. And it's not like the girls are far behind. The conclusion from this study was this. If participants in this study are typical of young people, exposure to porn on the internet can be described as normative. And more study of its impact is clearly warranted. These people got through with these teenagers and said, if this is true, and you guys represent, this sample represents teenagers across America, then pornography is becoming normative, socially normative. Guys, eating is societally normative. Watching porn is becoming societally normative. Watch this. In 2013, 49% of millennials, those about those born from 82 to present-ish, 49% believe pornography to be morally acceptable, which is twice the amount of boomers and 20% more than Gen Xers. In other words, the, the trend is this way in terms of, well, we're not going to fight it, just accept it. And who knows, right? Maybe it'll help them. This is getting out of hand. I don't know. I, I, how do you stop that? Because, listen, if, 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 if my kid has a smartphone, if they have a laptop, if they have access, guys, all the filters in the world aren't going to stop them. And if they're averaging 10 hours and 45 minutes a day with media content of some sort, the gateway is open. That's a foregone conclusion. And now what happens is, well, we just got to manage it now. Closing the gate is, is done. That, that's gone. Now we just have to circle the wagons as adults here and try to manage it. Here's the problem. Teens are looking at us saying, you can't even manage it yourself. Why are you trying to manage me? Dad, you're on your laptop more than you even notice me. What are you, how are you trying to manage me right now? Mom, we've got like 37 TVs in the house. Why are you trying to manage me? Mom, all I do, uh, mom, you're on Facebook and Twitter so much. Like I thought you must have, we must have stock in it. Please tell me we're getting a payback out of this. Please tell me at the end of the day, like, we're invested in this thing. So, so, so that's the problem is kids are looking at us saying, you're trying to manage me with technology? Well, how, do you, how do you figure that? And guys, to the minimalists out there that have abandoned it all, what, what do we say to them? Like, good luck with that. But I don't want any part of that. If you don't think this talk is relevant by way of, I don't have any idols in my life, then again, please write a book on how to do this. Because if technology, guys, if media content is not our idol in our day and age, 
And, and through that pornography or sexual content in media, what, what is? I'm convinced for the middle average American, okay, it's not the fancy cars, it's not the expensive houses, it's not, it's not the, 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 the first class trip to, to Hawaii. They're, those are fine if you can get them or whatever, but I don't think we really, I don't think those are our idols for many of us. I think our idols is, is right here. Because most of us can afford this, at least one of them. Right? I mean, I mean, grandparents out there, when your grandkids need Christmas gifts and you're out of ideas, we just, we just buy the latest. We don't even know what they do, do we? I mean, it's just kind of like, what, what generation do they have? Well, we'll get to the next one. Uh, you, you better guarantee me Apple Watch is going to be out before Christmas. I will lose it on somebody. I, I have an iPhone. Yeah, I know, but it's not on my wrist. Tape it to your wrist. Save a, save a few bucks. Do we have any idols? Acts, 7, Acts 19, uh, this was their idol, uh, Artemis. This is just not, I mean, this is, you know, so easy to teach about because it's so, it's throughout history. Uh, this was their, this was the temple to Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the world. Ever see this? One of the seven wonders of the world. It had 127 columns in it. Uh, I wrote it down somewhere. It is, uh, where did I write it down? Here it is, 239 feet wide, 418 feet long. It was four times the size of the uh, Parthenon in Athens. It has 127 columns. And this was the worship. They worshipped her. She wasn't even real. They built that temple for her, goddess of fertility. And that's what it turned out to be. Now, you tell me, how much would that cost to build? Idol worship. Maybe our day will be better because we built something fantastic like that. And guys, is not idol worship just a little bit closer to home right now? When we do a true inventory of what you and I have, what we possess, and back to this comment uh, from the back here, it's tangible. Like, I'm not talking about something ethereal or just kind of like metaphysical. Do you worship other gods? And some people do, I guess. I'm talking about everyday, modern-day America. How are we living our lives? If, if these things aren't idols you're becoming the minority. You're not, maybe not there yet, but you're becoming the minority. I, t- I did a survey in my class just recently out of the entire school at Valley Christian High School. Did I tell you this a couple weeks ago? Th- I think, what, three kids don't have smartphones. Ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade. Three. And all my students want to know who they were. So they can make fun of them. Idols. Absolute idols. Biggest, the biggest challenge most schools have today is fighting kids to not use their phones during class. Uh, I found this. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe this will help. Maybe it won't. Um, I thought this was interesting. Um, somebody put this together. I didn't do it. But these are two passages out of Psalm 115 and Isaiah 44. Take a look up here. Let's see if I can do this correctly. Um, this is from God's Word. 
maybe brought into modern day. Listen to this. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but they cannot speak. No one stops to think. No man has the knowledge or understanding to say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? So do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you in the day of wrath. They are useless in that day. All idols pass away like the mist, like the grass of the field that withers and dies But generation after generation, the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. Generation after generation, thou art God. Do we have idols? Here's what God wraps this up with in Exodus chapter 20. And I don't want to take this terribly far, but I think it's worth mentioning. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. I I think the point here, guys, is that your sin, your idol worship, is not in a vacuum. Your sin, my sin, affects those around me. And guys, wouldn't it be a tragedy if my children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, as I'm rounding out my days here on earth, and I look back and I see my children experiencing the same sins that I dealt with, that my grandchildren are so consumed with the same sins that I was consumed with, And if I ask them, why can't you just stop? Their question back to me would be, why didn't you just stop? Um, I'm not about to get into the whole genetics debate and what is passed down and what's not. I just know this to be true. We learn a lot from our folks. We learn a lot from our grandparents. You have two people in the house that are chain smokers. That kid is has a, a mountain to climb to not be a smoker. I will say this, guys. You have two people or even one person in the house that has an addiction of some sort. Pornography, um, alcohol, drugs, of course. But, but, but even this, guys, even this. E- e- boy, this might get dangerous. What about workaholism? Could that be your idol? Uh, I know a guy who... who just kind of promotes it. He's like, you know, the weekends kind of stink for me. What? I just love working. Like, I love working. Like, doesn't take any vacation days, none of that kind of stuff, you know? I'm just thinking, okay. A uh, company might love you, but, you know, is that workaholism? And, and, and when your kids see that, mom, dad, is that going to be passed down? From generation to generation. Now, here's the, here's the save, okay? Because let me just, give me, before you crucify me here, here's the save. On the, 
past visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who what? That's key. Of those who hate me. So don't leave here tonight thinking, gosh, I love God. I'm struggling with this sin area in my life and God's going to curse me and just my kids are going to get it, you know. God's making a point here that your sin is not in a vacuum. You want to continue hating me, having false idols, loving other gods before me? Don't be surprised when Junior shows up the same way. Don't be surprised by that. Why would you be surprised by that? Conversely, but showing loving kindness to thousands who love, who, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Guys, life is about, you know, get, getting back to this whole thing about the law before we wrap up here tonight. Life is about obedience in Christ. I said I'm free in Christ, but guys, please hear me. That, is, that comes with boundaries. There is a holiness aspect to yours and my life. And guys, in our day and age today, are you kidding me? If the world doesn't need to see some holy people in this world that aren't tossed about by the winds of moral relativism, but are standing firm on a biblical worldview conviction that there are absolutes in this world, and I'm standing on them regardless of what the Supreme Court decides or society decides, or these are my truths, and that is what will be passed down to my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids. Our kids, guys, need to be prayed for daily based on the world we're living in today. If they don't have a strong conviction moving forward, and guys, by that I mean if they don't see mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, aunt or uncle living out the commands of Christ in the scriptures, which is a call to holiness, give everything you have and follow me. Die to yourself and follow me. Translation, have no other gods before me. Don't have any false idols. If they, the, the way that our kids will see this lived out, this second commandment lived out, is in you and in me. Because guys, it's going to be brutal for them. If you think it's hard for us today, it is going to be, it's, it's going to be almost intolerable for the younger generations of this nation to take a stand on something that is for the cause of Christ. Something that is um, true in the scriptures. And to have to defend that day in and day out amidst what we're already seeing now. I asked my kids this the other day, my, my, my teenagers this the other day. Um, you are hard-pressed today to walk in and out of these uh, hallways, if you will, of society without engaging on some sort of uh, moral issue today. Right now, it happens to be same-sex marriage just because that's what our Supreme Court is dealing with. But I don't think that's going away anytime in the near future. Um, look at, did you see the video on CNN about the, 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 the rioting in Baltimore and, and, and the, kid, the one kid that got called out by his mom? Gosh, I should play that, shouldn't I? You guys have time? Well, we got two minutes here. I'll keep talking and see if we can find it. Um, Baltimore, you know, they're rioting over there. And this mom, um, let's see if I can pull it up. She saw on TV her son rioting. Did you see this? And she, she drives down to where he's rioting and, and just calls him out. 
in front of everyone and starts beating on him and basically shuns him in front of everyone, telling him to get back in the car. And the kids, I don't know, he looked about 17 right there. There she is. Striking a blow for caring moms. If you get a chance, I don't know if this will come up, but if you get a chance, watch this. This lady is being toted as a hero right now. Um, it, it is absolutely amazing the, the courage that it took. And it just, it, it gave me hope. I, we, we're going to be a little out of time here. So, but it, it, well, here it is. It gave me hope that there are still people in this world that care. And that this world isn't going to hell in a handbasket. But there are people out there that want to make a difference. Um, she saw her son on TV and in this like, you know, riot gear. And she just went after him because she found that to be despicable that he's got nothing to do with what happened to this young man. And granted, you know, it, what happened was what happened and that needs to be dealt with, certainly. But rioting is not the answer and I think we know that. Well, these kids in Baltimore, they don't understand that. And a mom said, not my kid. Like in front of his friends, in front of everyone, she said, not my kid. Okay, Travago, we're done. Here we go. Boy's not coming up. Dang it. Okay. She goes after a kid, 16 years old. She's cussing at him. She wants to rip his mask off and show the public. And look at him. He's running away from his mom. She chased him. She, she, she's not done with him. Look at her. Just go after him. Isn't that great? Isn't that just, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm, I was just, I saw that and I just, I applaud that because, because that, we need to see more of that. There's hope, guys. There really is hope. I know today was kind of a downer, but there is hope. But guys, the hope is in us. The hope is not telling my 12-year-old kid, you need to do better. The hope is in me going before a holy God saying, God, do I have any idols in my life? And if I do, God, I'm begging you. Carve them out of my life. Let my kids see. Let my friends see. Let my coworkers see. Let my other students see that there is no other God I worship but you. Because God, you are spirit and I can't bring you down into a tangible item. So if this is my God, 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 if I've made this my God, would you just speak to me and get rid of it for me? Convict me to the point where I can't live another day knowing that I treasure that more than I treasure you. If my house is burning down, what do I grab? And guys, if my first instinct is to grab my technology, because I didn't buy the insurance plan, worth considering. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for tonight. God, thank you for your word. Father, thanks for these folks showing up, and, and, and thank you for us just allowing us this time just to dive in and, and get messy. Thanks so much for uh, your law, Father. Thank you for your scriptures that we can read them, uh, meditate on them. I pray, Father, that the con conviction would be true, that should any of us leave tonight and look around our lives, and just, just maybe we need to ask the question moving forward, God, are there any idols in my life? And if there are, Holy Spirit, would you just reveal them? I think for a lot of us, God, we know what they are. And now the, the, the big moment of truth, what will we do about it? 
What a, what a legacy, God, I want to leave for my kids. Uh, knucklehead dad, um, not a great husband, but, uh, but he didn't have any idols before his God. Uh, that will be enough. And God, uh, if we could do that um, and just demonstrate that to those around us, I think this world becomes a better place almost instantly. Thank you, God, for that mom uh, who had the courage uh, to just raise her son in a way that uh, it speaks truth. And may we be encouraged by that. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you guys next week.